Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners, as always, joining you and uh, very, very thankful to be here and thankful that you're listening to us. Um, we are coming up to, I've been saying this for a while, but we are actually coming up to the 100th episode very, very shortly. And when we do that 100th episode, I'm 100% going to have Aaron Aubrey, who is our managing director and co-founder on with me. And he's here today. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Chris. You're right. I think this is still the 20th time we've had a countdown to the 100th yes, yes. one. I think we're on about 90 now. So probably when we get to about like July time, very we'll probably, I'll be actually finally able to say, yes, this is the 100th episode of the HR on the Offensive maybe we, could do a, maybe we could do a bloopers for the 100th. Maybe. Maybe. I'll get my team. They'll probably take great pleasure in trying to find all of the times in which I've completely messed an intro up or halfway through said, no, I didn't want to say that and started it again. But that's <laughs> letting the listeners in beyond the veil of the curtain. Um, let's bring our guest in today. And our yes. guest is Kevin Metherall from Experian, and he's the global head of people Inso analytics, insight and innovation. Kevin, how are you doing? Good afternoon. Yeah, very well. Thanks. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. Me too. So before we just do a bit of a credentials check, so you can tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and then experience, I just wanted to almost set the scene a little bit. Kevin, um, myself and Aaron have met a few times, well, Aaron's met Kevin a few times more than me, and Kevin came along to an employee experience forum of ours. And so what we're going to do is just ask Kevin to give us a little bit of an insight, because he, he talked about some really, really interesting things that the guys at Experian are doing. Um, and we wanted to just probe him on a, a, a podcast because it's always good to get that kind of that recorded viewpoint of what ha what happened and what was discussed at the employee experience forum that we did now in terms of the employee experience forums if you're listening to this and you are an ex specialist please reach out to us because we'd be more than happy to tell you a little bit more about upcoming ones that we're doing so please do that we uh, we often like to get together people um, with common interests to talk about what their challenges are that they're facing and building a community of people that can really just share ideas and insights is quite important to us at, at LACE as well. But I'm prattling on. I want to focus more on you, Kevin. Um, talk to us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and then yep. Experian for anyone that doesn't know who Experian are. Yeah, sure. So, so as you introduced, uh, head of people analytics at Experian. Ever since I left university, really, I've been involved in the people analytics space uh, originally as a consultant. And then in the last seven years or so, in-house experience, taken over uh, responsibility for the team fairly recently. But prior to that, I've very much been leading on some of our advanced analytics space. Uh, my background has very much always been in the data science areas. I did theoretical chemistry at university and did the, the natural progression into the world of HR, which you know, who doesn't see that as a natural career path from a chemistry degree? But I've loved doing minute. The reality is that the opportunity to take data, do cool stuff with it, and drive impacts is is always really powerful. And I've loved it um, ever since I really got into it so, uh, back in 2010. So what's that? 12 years ago. In terms of who Experian are, um, I suppose at the heart of it, a lot of people, or at least in the UK, will know them as the guys that do your credit credit reports. Uh, but we, we are obviously a lot more than that, as as you probably would. Would expect the reality is at the heart of it we're, we're a tech business with a lot of data that sits behind it and that that solves a bunch of 
bunch of different challenges that either our businesses or our consumers try to tackle. Some of that is, yeah, who do we lend money to and, and are, do they stand a chance of paying it back? But some of them is also around how do we make businesses make better decisions? One of my, one of my favourite stories of where we've helped out in the past, I don't know whether you guys remember, I think it was probably four, five years ago, there was the Coke campaign, share a Coke with a friend, mm-hmm. and had names, yeah. had the names on the sides of the bottles and... Uh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. For the listeners, sorry to interrupt. For the listeners here, I actually have one of our uh, one of my colleagues, Emily Onis, actually bought me recently a Coca Cola bottle with my name on it. But sorry, yeah. so that's what I was just showing to the screen when Kevin said yes. But of course, this is an audio platform, so our listeners won't uh, won't get but, that. But apologies, that, Kevin. So, yeah. Carry on. Carry on. So yeah, back about four or five years ago, it was our data that drove Coke's distribution strategy. So what names do they send to what locations? based on the number of people that live around there and what, who their names are. So we could send Aaron's up to York and we could send Chris's to, to where you live uh, to really drive much greater engagement with the campaign rather than just a random stuff, which I think is always a really cool way of how we use our data right. to do things differently than just credit things that people expect. And I think, Kevin, it, it always fascinates me when we, we met years ago, I know, on a, on a panel on analytics yep. years ago. And... Even then, it fascinated me that you're trying to deliver people analytics to a environment that is, quite frankly, just full of data scientists. Yeah. It's what you do for a living. Yeah. And most, most HR professionals find analytics quite, quite inter- intimidating in a normal environment, let alone in an environment talking to data. So that must have been quite an experience. And, and I guess... You know, how did you pick the first thing? What was the first thing you took out to the business from from the HR function? And what did that look like? I say we probably started the the journey eight years ago, so it was just before my time. And, and it's fair to say we were we were a a part of the HR function that was a reporting and MI function. So it's mm-hmm. the classic it's the classic transformation in that space and how we've moved from that. The reality is our data wasn't particularly well trusted. A lot of people thought, oh, HR's numbers, just a random number generator kind of thing. Going to ignore it. I'll just trust what finance tell me. So I think we, we did a couple of things early on. First off was, was a huge investment in, in data cleanliness. How do we bring the data together? How do we um, uh, improve the definitions and, and rigor around our data to build that trust and capability. But at the same time, and I think this is where certainly some of the interactions I've had with my peers, which we've done a bit differently, they typically, or it's quite common to kind of, right, build the trust, build the trust, and then I'll do the advanced stuff and the cool stuff. Whereas actually we went, no, let's go after the cool stuff straight away to sell the benefit of why clean data is so important. So we went with an attitude of, if we can show you we can do great stuff with the data as you believe it to be today, just imagine what we can do if you've got great data that you really invest in and spend effort on. So that's when we really we started the journey on our predictive analytics, predictive attrition um, models. So partnered with with our business that do the, the credit scoring um, and built a, a predictive attrition tool that uses the same models, but but is based on our employee data. And that was the first one that we really began to push out in, in the more advanced space. 
Okay. I just wanted to touch on something. So I was just reading actually this morning something, some data that the CIPD had put out, and it was around the value of that people within the business, not just within the HR function and not just at senior level, get access to seeing the impact that it's actually having on business performance. How essential for you has it been in terms of your journey to be able to articulate that this is what we're doing and how quickly for you was it important to say look we've got all this information and now we're going to be able to give it to you to show that transparency it's hugely the reality is and um, I, I was on a i was on an all hands with the hr function last week and i think i, I used to say nine i'm about to use i'm a massive geek like i'm an unashamed geek and i will happily build properly geeky statistical just for the fun and games of it but but unless there's a unless there's a business um a business reason for us actually doing that that if there's not a problem we need to solve it's going to be built it's going to sit on the shelf and it's never going to be used and i, and I might as well i've just gone on sunbathed in the garden the amount of impact it would have right quite happily get paid to get sunbathed in the garden but that's never going to happen so being able to link all our work back to strategy what we're trying to do as an organization the pain points our business are feeling are is so is so critical so taking the, the attrition model before we actually embarked on the process we were able to do a very very simple calculation based off the cipd model the kind of cost of attrition in organizations so i think the cipd say it's typically between six and 12 months of an individual salary is the cost of them leaving the organization. And that's made up of the lost productivity from them not being in the seat, the, the ramp up time for the replacement, um, the actual costs of recruiting for yeah. a replacement, um, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. And, and we went conservative. We said, right, let's stick to the six month end of that spectrum. What would a reduction in attrition save our organization? And we were able to show basically for every 1%, we could knock off our resignation rate. We could it would save, it'd be a cost saving or cost avoidance, I suppose, um, of about $3 million per year. Wow. Um, and straight away, you get attention from from all the business to go, oh, yeah, it's worth us, worth us investing time and effort in, in making this right. And, and I guess, Kevin, that, that's, that's one of the things that struck me around how you approach that predictive attrition, because you, you hear people approaching attrition reporting and predictive attrition. And, and I guess one is you are very clear in articulating the value out to the business, as you described yeah. it. But also you co-built it with the business as well, using some of their models that were already in existence for other reasons and repurposing, which I think is a really fascinating way of approaching it because it's, by dint of doing that, you've automatically got a level of buy-in. Yeah, the, the methods we were using, the tools we were using were, were tried, tested methods that we use with the vast majority of our clients and some guys. And so going back to kind of your earlier point, I think around, you alluded to around HR and mm. taking HR analytics out to an organization of very data savvy people. By doing it in a way that was a process a mechanism that the business already knew, used extensively, understood and believed in, because that's what we deliver to our clients. There was a straightaway breakdown in the challenge around why we used linear model versus a logistic model or why have you done it this way or that way or whatever. And actually, you could get much quicker to the, the questions and the impact and the so what 
when we got to the Alps, which is which has been really really powerful. Yeah, and and be great to understand. I think with a predictive attrition, do you believe that what you've produced has changed behaviour as a result? Because yeah. one thing is producing the report, right? The other is actually getting the business to take action. Fundamentally, and, and it continues to do so today. Right? So, in one of the first iterations of the of the um, predictive attrition tool, we or kind of one of the first models we built for the UK business, it, we were able to do it not just at individual levels but also at team levels. And where we had pockets of really high turnover, we were able to look at the reasons why, and it drove changes in our policies. Our flex working provisions, our return from maternity and paternity leave provisions, um, and how accommodating we were to, to different people's needs. And I think you could see the impact on our on our resignation rate, but I think far more impactful was the impact on our culture and some in, in parts of the business. And I think there's there's other examples where another part of the business, the leader went, went my entire team's at risk. I want to retain them all. I just want to give them a 10% pay increase overnight. And, and the BP was able to have a much more informed, objective chat with them that said, you know what, for these 20 people, yeah, pay increases are exactly the right thing to do. Let's, let's get them processed. Let's make that happen. But for these other 20 over here, it's not about pay. It's about training, development, lack of disruption with, with constant organisational changes. It's how do we give them some annual leave and like force them to go take a break from work and feel valued. And that non-monetary way of rewarding our employees also began to, to come to the forefront. And we've embedded it in a bunch of the other people processes now. So the attrition risk model is part of our global talent review. It's part of our annual pay review. And it, it's, it's, we're just recently, we literally two weeks ago, launched the refresh of all of our global models. And some of the stuff we've, we've got in there now from our pulse surveys, from some of our organizational network analysis stuff, from some of our, our learning initiatives as we're kind of transforming our, our learning proposition, has been really insightful to inform the way we communicate, the way we talk about what is important mm. to our, our workforce and how we can use other parts of our people data that, that historically we've not, we've not used in any way. I love that. And I love the fact that you've laced it into so many of the people processes now that it's just a fundamental element and therefore there's just this pull through for more more data and you've got yourselves into that kind of positive positive way of looking at it you mentioned well and we'll come back to business partners in a minute because i think it's it falls a lot to them to be able to articulate but um before we do you mentioned their organizational network analysis and i know we've spoken so far a lot about predictive analytics but you yeah. also mentioned to me the power of doing ona uh, and, and and how much that has been a real boon to the business and being able to make business-based decision making for a lot of our um a lot of our listeners they may not know what that is yeah. you want to just give a bit of an explanation and then how you've used it kevin that'd be fantastic yeah sure so so Organisational network analysis, or, or ONA, is what I'll probably refer to it because it's much quicker to say that. It's basically it's looking at the um, communication metadata within an organisation. So predominantly emails, meetings, Teams chats, but it's not, and it never is, any of the content of any of those communications. So we're never looking at what you're saying to people, but what we're what we're looking at is that I've emailed someone on a given date. At a given time, and that they've emailed back potentially. So we can then get a view of 
we can move away from that hierarchical view of an organization where you've got the chief exec with a, the CFO and the CPO reporting into them. And then beneath them, you've got their teams and that, that kind of very traditional hierarchical view of the organization. And actually, how does information flow through the organization? Who are the key players that information flows through? How well connected are people? How, how in the center of a network are they? How important are they? Are they, are they a bridge between two parts of the business? Or are they more in the periphery? And what, what potential impacts does that have? And we've done some we've done some really cool stuff. I think talking about the, the attrition risk model, as I say, a couple of things that have really come out uh, recently is, is the size of people's mm-hmm. network. So where those are, are decreasing and, and smaller than some of their peers, definitely indicative that people are beginning to think about, about leaving. Likewise, working time. Um, so obviously post-pandemic, it's been a real kind of hot topic, flex working, giving people the ability to to work the way that's right for them, which means sometimes people will be wanting to work outside of what you typically consider their core hours when we were when we were back in the office. But today, we're also able to show you that if the percentage of emails sent outside of core hours is high, like they're, they're working long days and it's consistent and it's regular, then actually that is that is indicative of people that are going to be looking to leave the organization within the next 12 months. So straight away, again, going back to your earlier point, what does that drive about culture? It's that whole like what leadership tone do you set to your organization around your expectations to work long days? Obviously, people are no longer having to commute and a lot of people are using that time to work. But is that right? And, and that is that sort of challenge that we're able to do through that. I and mean, we've done a lot of other examples of on the ONA stuff across the organization, which I can share. But, but those are two that have come out really recently and really powerfully. Yeah. Do you know what's really interesting? You just hearing you talking about that I actually wrote down the cultural impact of that, but also with those sort of networks and you seeing the people who are those central hubs and stuff, being able to to lock into those and say, okay, what types of personalities are they? What impact are they having on the business, positively or negatively? Um, Mm -hmm. And then also, I was also thinking about what you were just talking about when you were talking about those 20 people you say, well, yeah, give them the pay rise and then the 20 people that they want something else and popped into my head just as a kind of live example. So imagine you've got that person that's working those longer hours. Maybe they value their holidays quite a lot as a result of that. So do you use that kind of data to almost be able to say, right, well, this person here is working long hours, but when we actually talk to the line manager of this person, that's just kind of what they like to do. But as soon as they go on holiday, then they want to be, they want to be just stepping away from it all. And so therefore, Instead of just saying, here's an extra 5%, 10% on your salary, why don't we think about something that embraces the parts of their life that uh, they really want to tap into more? Exactly. And I think I think that's that's always the, the point we try and make with all of the all of the analytics products that we produce is they are a data point in the toolkit for BPs. They are never the answer. You have to understand individuals, you have to understand the way the organization ticks. There's different parts of the organizations that operate in different ways. Um, there's different global uh, cultures, right? We, we are in, I think it's 48, 47, 48 different countries. Each one of those has a different cultural norm and we work globally. So we can build models and, and they give us good estimates of what is likely to happen. But they are never exact. No, no one who ever tells you their model is going to be 100% accurate. They're lying through their teeth. <laughs> Kevin, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I think it's brought us round to 
that whole discussion about how do you communicate analytics and insights and as you say it's it's a tool that allows you to to build out an answer but it's not necessarily the answer i know you focused a lot as an organization on raising this skill set of business partners but also the confidence levels i guess yep. um and, you know, and as we mentioned right at the start you have a tough audience you have a lot of data scientists you have a lot of people savvy with data right so when you're talking through a network analysis or a predictive attrition report with a business it must be quite tough and daunting at times yeah definitely and i think like with any any role right you, you get you get some business partners and, and some parts of the hr function that get it love it and will take it straight to their business, no no hesitation whatsoever. And you get others at the other end of the spectrum who are nervous to take advanced analytics stuff that they don't they might not fully understand in front of an audience that understands the individual nuances of the different statistical techniques you've got you've got available to to use in different scenarios and and things like that and probably use much bigger words and much more complex concepts than even I or, or my team would possibly understand, right? Um, we have PhD level data scientists mm-hmm. throughout the organization. Take, say, taking this stuff to them is, is, is scary. So I think we've continued and, and continue to do so, drive different initiatives to improve the confidence within our, our HR community, not just in the business partners, but it's actually across the talent functions, part of the talent review, it's across the reward function is part of the pay review. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the whole HR function. And, and I think one of the ones we found very successful at the, at the early stages of the ARM process was one-on-one partnering with our business partners where someone in the, the analytics team would partner, have a, have a list of 10, 15 BPs that were their BPs, and they would meet with them monthly. They'd talk about the attrition risk model. What are they doing about it? What conversations are they having? Who are they targeting retention interventions on? And what support did they need from us to drive it forward? With some of them, they were fairly simple chats. Some of them, they were much more involved. And some of them, we they, they were so not confident at that point in terms of the audiences they had, where we would come along. And we would be in the room, they could pick up the kind of the strategic impact points and, and all that, and the technical kind of questions around why did we use specific models, um, what data's got into it, what's the validity, what's the accuracy of these models, um, uh, and so on and so forth, and where the limitations um, that, that we know about, we could, we could pick those up and we could have that robust conversation with the business areas. Straight away, once the business has had that chat, they then don't need to have that chat again. And HR are much more equipped to continue the, the strategic impact questions. So how is, I've got to ask the, uh, the pre and post pandemic question. Yeah. How much has that changed, that relationship between the analytics function, and the HR function and that nature of the relationship you guys have between the BPs um, and your team? Um has that changed quite a lot pre and post pandemic? Because obviously you guys have been doing this for a long time and it isn't just COVID that has snapped your business into gear in terms of, okay, we need to really lean into the people analytics side. I'd imagine that's been happening for a number of years. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been, we've been fairly well embedded in, in a lot of the HR processes, as you say, for a number of years. I think, I think the pandemic has been an interesting one. I don't think it's necessarily 
changed our relationship with HR or the business. Probably go as, as bold as to say. I think it's changed the focus of our work. So um, through the pandemic, obviously, there was a lot of focus rightly so and, and continues to do so even in the a relative post-pandemic world, although I'm not sure you could really call it yet, that yet, but around well-being and welfare and how can we use our data to help people work smarter? How can we ensure that, that the remote nature of work in the last 24 months doesn't impact on people's mental health, on people's team feeling, how, how engaged they are as part of their team, but also more, more fundamentally, right, their productivity. How can we how can we ensure that we don't lose the productivity of daily scrum meetings? And mm. so we've done a and that's I'd say in the last two years has been where our ONA work has really taken off and has become much more widespread. So pre pre-pandemic, our our ONA work was predominantly individual consulting engagements, I would call them, internal consulting engagements, where we were trying to solve or, or look into business challenges. So part of the biz- there's part of the business in the US that's predominantly growing through a lot of acquisitions, and they mm-hmm. wanted to understand actually how, how does that business operate today? Yes, we call it one, one part of the business, and but actually it was made up of 14 different acquisitions. And... Yeah how does that work today and we were able to show with a really simple graphic that there are two parts of the business that were very separate from it from the rest of the organization and and it kicked off some pieces of work to really look at how we bring those in and integrate them and, and we've been able to do a lot of cool stuff around around that excellent no i think it's really it's really interesting i love that example when we've spoken about it before kevin that that real change to a fundamental business process not a people process but a business process by looking at that flow of yep. of of data between the, the parts of the organization. For a lot of our, our listeners, um, some of the things we've spoken about will feel like the future of analytics and quite advanced futures for the analytics. But for yourself, I mean, you, you know, I know you're continually looking to improve and move forward and learn from what you've done. What, what do you think the next few uh, couple of years of future looks like for analytics for you? What are you focused on? Where you, where you, what's exciting you in terms of what might come next? So I think I think um, we're we're getting particularly excited in the the talent space. I think mm-hmm. we want to. We've done a lot. Obviously, we've done a lot of stuff in the recruitment processes. We've built some natural language processing tools that look at look at our job descriptions, and we've, we've obviously done some stuff on on people exiting the organisation. But how do we do more stuff on the people that are that are within the organisation and, and and to do more of them? So I think there's some really cool stuff as we we're implementing a skills taxonomy at the moment and, and mm-hmm. kind of rolling that out bit by bit within the organization. It's going to give us a huge tool in our arsenal, a huge data point in our arsenal to look at internal mobility. How do we how do we start thinking differently about careers? How do we start articulating that differently to our workforce? And how do we succession planning? How do we get that succession planning deeper through the organization? At the moment it's a very manual task. And as a result, it's kind of kept at more senior levels, as I think mm-hmm. is most organizations, right? Yeah. But it comes a point almost where you've got volumes of very similar roles where you're not necessarily doing succession planning for individuals, but 
you're wanting to articulate those career paths from this type of role to this type of role and and how does that look what's the what's the um development interventions we need to do to to build up the pool of people that we can draw upon as this pool of people leave or get promoted hopefully and, and, and so on and so forth there's a lot in the um de and i space yeah that, what, that we want to mm. look at always a tricky one from a from a data protection perspective what you can and can't do and and the risks of baking in biases to some of those models unintentionally. So we'd love to do some stuff in that space, but we're being very cautious with yeah. it. We don't we don't do anything that would be unfair on our workforce. And and yeah, so I think those are probably probably the main ones. A lot of automation. So really looking in the, the robotic space. How can we how can we automate a lot of what we do? And yeah, bring bring our data together and, and drive more power with it. Amazing. It, it, it's 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 fascinating listening to you talk about that. And just to remind people listening in, I mean, you, you spoke about this. This this started as a journey from you for you as an organization eight years ago. Yeah. This is not something that happens overnight. Um, it's no silver bullet to this. You've got to get your data right. You've got to build this up. But I do love that point about get out there and show the value early so you can get the pull from the business and then it starts to drive itself. And so mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a great a great tip for anyone who's thinking about how they get started along this journey. And I, th- I think what I would what I would say to that is, is probably over the last half hour or so, however long we've, we've been going, what you've probably heard is, is the Instagram version, right? It's the... Yes. All, the, all the successes we've had and <laughs> um less on the failures that we've had along the way and and there's definitely been there's definitely been some of those where we've we've built a tool we thought it solved the problem and it didn't get used we we, we missed the mark and, and we've learned from that over the last eight years and, and iterated our processes iterated the skills within our team to develop those so i would also say just building on your point aaron don't be disheartened if you yeah. try something and it, and it doesn't quite work learn from it and and work out what didn't work and and improve on that the next time yeah that's a really really good kind of final point i think to uh to wrap up on because unbelievably we're at the half an hour mark i can't believe that has gone by so quickly and some of the stuff that you're talking about there kevin i think is really fascinating i think as aaron as you mentioned it's important not to note that you know it's important to note that this isn't something that just happens instantly it takes a lot of work effort and uh acknowledging that you know we've got to try a few things so really really good to talk to you kevin uh, thank you very very much for coming on the podcast you will 100 percent will be dragging you onto the podcast to talk about all manner of different things in the people data analytics space mainly because we are talking to lots and lots of clients or just organizations that we're friendly with and this is something that organizations are looking very very closely at if they haven't been doing that pre-pandemic that they're doing it now so um if you uh like the uh, uh podcast that kevin's have been uh, kevin and I, I and aaron have been on then you can subscribe to the channel if you like and we'll give you more of those podcasts if you'd like to suggest podcast topics then please feel free to do so just drop us a note on our website which is www.lacepartners.co.uk if you want to see our full back catalogue you can also access our website and uh, forward slash podcast is the short link which will take you to all of the 90 odd podcasts that we've uh, done so far over the last sort of two years or so but uh, we are out of time for today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you kevin thank you very much for coming on thank you very much for having me and as always aaron lovely to have you on in my my partner in crime Loved it. Complete geek out today. Enjoyed it. (laughs) A total geek out. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.